0: Hello and welcome to Hope for the Introvert. If you've ever wondered how an introvert temperament can be compatible with leadership, then you're in the right place. Join us as we chat with introverts who are leaders and influencers in their various fields. They talk about the challenges they face as well as the ways they feel their temperament has contributed to their success. Our host is Ben Welk, an introverted leader himself, working as a program manager in the information security office at the Rochester Institute of Technology. He's also leader of the Society for Technical Communication and a member of the Educause Higher Education Information Security Council, Awareness and Training Working Group. You can contact Ben at ben at hopefortheintrovert.com or on Twitter at hopeintrovert. Support Hope for the Introvert on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash hopefortheintrovert.
1: A special thank you today to Christine Christensen and her support of Hope for the Introvert. Visit patreon.com for more information on supporting the podcast. Joining us today is Tara Hughes. Tara is Interim Manager of Administrative Services at California State University, Channel Islands. I met Tara at the 2019 Educause Security Professionals Conference in Chicago, where Tara spoke on, you're all a bunch of phonies, imposter syndrome, and information security. The presentation was standing room only, and the attendees described it as very impactful. Given the struggles with self-confidence many of us have as introverts, I thought it would be helpful to chat about imposter syndrome on the Hope for the Introvert podcast. You can contact Tara via email at tara.hughes at c-s-u-c-i.edu, or through LinkedIn, Tara Hughes, and Twitter at TinyTara. I encourage our listeners to visit hopefortheintrovert.com, where you'll find complete show notes, including a transcript of today's conversation.
2: Hi, Tara. Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited that you're going to be on the podcast. It was great connecting with you in Chicago, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, Before we get into our discussion about imposter syndrome, let's talk a little bit about your career and your background. Sure. Can you tell us about what you do? What is your workplace like? Channel Islands sounds like an intriguing place to work because it sounds like it's on an island. I have no idea if it is or not. Tell us about what you do and how you got there.
2: Sure. So uh, I guess the most important question straight away is, no, we are not on an island, so I don't need to take a boat to work. But we are more representative of the surrounding area. It used to be a California State Mental Hospital, and it was closed, I want to say, in the 80s by Reagan, although I'm not 100% sure on that. And then California State University was able to acquire the land. They opened up California State University and they named it Channel Islands because the Channel Islands are just off the coast from where the the school is located. And they wanted it to be representative of the surrounding county since it is more of a, a commuter school. My path to my career is a little unusual or at least it's not the the path that I would have envisioned. I am currently the interim manager of administrative services. I've been at Cal State Channel Islands for, it'll be five years in August. And what I currently do is kind of built off of what I was initially hired to do. So when I was hired back in 2014, our president's office, their main telephone number to contact them, had accidentally been put on all of our marketing materials and our website as the main campus telephone number. And so, after a couple years of the president's office fielding calls and kind of just not loving that experience, um, the president at the time had requested our CIO at the time, Michael Berman, to come up with some sort of way to address that issue because. It was causing things to come straight to the president's office and not giving other departments the opportunity to address issues before it got escalated all the way to the top. And so he had kind of this brainchild of having a one stop shop called the Solution Center. And so they hired seven student assistants to be campus operators for what was the main line. And then they created a new extension for the president's office. And then they needed someone to manage these students because no one wanted to do it. And so at the time, my husband has worked here since, gosh, I don't even, it's been probably 13 or 14 years. So at the time, we had just moved back to Camarillo. He had been commuting for the previous four or five years. And so I was looking for a job and he said my wife would be great. And so they hired me as an emergency temp hire and that turned into a permanent role. And six months after that, they gave me the commencement hotline because no one wanted to answer that extension. (laughs) And six months after that, they gave me the IT help desk because they were having some trouble with managing the students and felt like they were having trouble multitasking. And so we took the help desk extension and routed it into the call center And so the students that work at the help desk only had to help in person and kind of separating those duties and simplifying them a little bit. And then last summer, business and finance had acquired IT as a subunit. And so when we were brought over, they had asked that I lead their shared services in a more official capacity and turn the solution center into a official shared services and take over the HR mainline. So our students now answer um, human resources mainline as well. And the the goal is really to be able to triage all basic tier one kinds of questions that typically are answered on the website or found somewhere, but that people might have trouble locating or just feel better to have another human being confirm that information to them. And so I manage that and I manage the help desk still. So I have about, at any given time, about 18 student assistants that I employ and we train and they have to know a lot about a lot.
1: And so this is coming in as an emergency hire, you said, which is interesting because that's basically how I got into RIT also. Was brought in because there was a worm at that point in time that was wreaking havoc. And I had worked with the information security officer who was here at a previous consulting engagement. And he found out I was available and wanted me to come in and help manage the emergency communications around what was happening with the worm. Now, that lasted maybe two hours. And then it was, well, You're not going to be doing that. But I was able to move into creating a whole lot of really interesting process stuff and build a security awareness program and all sorts of things like that. But none of that was envisioned when I actually took the position and it was supposed to be temporary. And it has been a month ago. It's been 15 years since I've been at RIT. Wow. So it's funny how these paths go. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because my background has nothing whatsoever to do with what I'm doing for a job now at all, what was your background coming into that position? Your husband said, oh, my wife would be great at this, and they agreed with it, but what was your background coming in?
2: So I guess I should start off. My husband and I met my freshman year of college, got married a year after, and so we got married when I was really young. I was 18. Um, we'll be celebrating 17 years in September. Oh, cool. And so super cool, but not necessarily traditional. And so I ended up, we had a family much sooner than we were anticipating. And so I took a lot of time off from school and didn't go back to get my bachelor's degree until my youngest went into kindergarten. And my goal was really to get my bachelor's before I turned 30. And so I got my bachelor's degree in counseling at a small private liberal arts school where we had met and his dad and mom both worked there. And I graduated with my counseling degree at 29. Um, So I made my goal, which was very great. But really, I was so drawn to people and relationship building and feeling like there were so many things that I cared about connecting with people on a really authentic level. Um, I'm not one for more superficial relationships. That's not where I, I shine. And so with counseling, I really wanted to have meaning to whatever I chose to do. And we talked a lot about as our three girls were growing up, that at some point, because we got married young and had kids young, that there was going to be this whole life after family to some degree. And what would I do to utilize that time well? And so, working was always going to be in the scope in some way, shape, or form. We just didn't know what it would look like. After I graduated, I worked at an insurance company. My boss was fantastic, but I didn't love the work because it didn't feel meaningful and it wasn't that relationship building that I craved. And then, right after that, we moved back to Camarillo and it was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. And so, my husband, just my biggest cheerleader, thought you're going to manage student assistance. You could totally do this. And it, what's been incredible is that so much of the mentorship and coaching very much aligned with my counseling background. And so that has been what a, just a wonderful surprise, but not something that I could have pinpointed until I fell into it, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think it makes perfect sense and I mean we we were talking before the podcast started about temperament types and we'll talk about that a little bit more and what you identified on the temperament type was INFJ which is counselor is the way that that's normally interpreted so that all fits together very well and I would think in terms of working with students with what I'm seeing at RIT the amount of stress that they're under now to be able to have someone who is managing them, but who is also attuned to the fact that they're people and not just students Mm -hmm. who are filling a position to get things done, I think is probably very, very good for them. And I think the, like you said, you were interested in relationship building and, well, you have at least 18 students to build, to have some types of relationships with as well yeah but it's interesting my background i went to a large state school in florida ended up being an anthropology graduate because i couldn't honestly couldn't figure out what i was doing and i had done terribly my first year (laughs) and all my initial plans of what i was going to do just didn't work out went to work for my dad for a couple of years he installed floor covering i did not want to do that for the rest of my life got accepted to a university north of Chicago. And so we moved from Florida to Chicago with 15 month old, not knowing where we were going to be living when we left, knowing that they might have an apartment that was opening up, kind of putting everything into 14 foot U-Haul and caravanning three days up to Chicago no clear sense of where we were going to stay, but a very clear sense that that's what we were supposed to be doing. And everything worked out and fell into place and different things. But I doing what I thought was going to actually be a position in Christian education. And that ended up changing over to uh, doing a master's in church history which I'm not sure what exactly I thought I was going to be able to do with it when I came out. It's interesting because you come across people and one of the professors was just so passionate and so engaging that I was really excited about it. And I ended up entering a doctoral program at the University of Rochester, which is what brought us to Rochester, thinking we'd be here for four years. And that was in 1987. And we're still here. Did not finish the doctorate, but through a Series of circumstances and different opportunities. Now I'm doing cybersecurity. Definitely not a straight <laughs> career path at all. And it will be interesting when we do start talking about this imposter syndrome piece. In there, absolutely been there, coming in with a liberal arts background. And I'm trying to work in a technical field with technical people, and oh, they're all going to see through me, sort of thing. So, It's just really interesting because I don't know, maybe for some people it works where it's a very clear career path. For me, it's really been what has opened up and do you take the steps forward in it or not? So it's really interesting to me hearing about your path to get there. We also did the getting married before my wife finished college piece of things, but she was able to finish before our son was born. But still, it was after we were married and it was it was a bit of a struggle. Finances and where are we going to live and all of those pieces and still persevered and got through it. But it's intriguing. So. We mentioned you had talked about the INFJ piece and how sometimes it's closer. Well, one of the three times you took it, it came out to ENFJ. And I know how this works for me because I play with the questions just a little bit and say, ah, so that changed that. Coming with a counseling background, I'm sure it was even more, how do I look at this and how, maybe not how can I manipulate it, (laughs) but what are the little bits of changes that I can do with this? So basically, typing is an introvert, but very interested in relationship building. I don't think it's not a disconnect at all. What do you see in terms of being an introvert? Do you notice it's different in terms of how you deal with people? It's very tough because it's a spectrum. And I think I've become more and more extroverted. And it's not always very clear. For me, it really comes down to how do I recharge and what do I need to do that? But on a given day, if I'm at a conference, nobody is going to think I'm an introvert because I just don't tend to present that way. So how has that been for you in terms of personality type? You did a counseling degree, so you've thought about some of this stuff at some point. But how has that worked in terms of your strategy for how you approach work, what you do in the workplace, and life in general?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I think growing up, everyone would have said I was an extrovert and I always considered myself an extrovert. Being a stay-at-home mom for the number of years that I was, I thought that confirmed that I was an extrovert because I would get really lonely being at home all day and just was so excited when my husband would come home because now I could have that human interaction with an adult. Not that the kids aren't humans, but it's different. And so I really was surprised when I came to work full time to find that I was exhausted at the end of the day. And it wasn't just physical exhaustion. There was a mental exhaustion of having to be on all the time. And I think entering into IT was another compelling part of that because I wasn't coming into IT as an IT expert. And so I, I had to work really hard to be able to speak the same language as my colleagues sometimes, and then take that language and, and put it into a language your average user could understand and talking at their level and not at a more technical level. And so that relationship building started to take really different forms, which was great, but I was so depleted at the end of the day. and. Found myself thinking of myself more as a, an introverted extrovert, where I still really wanted to be around people, but then really needed to find the opportunities to have quiet time and be alone and recharge, whether that was just zoning out, watching TV, or reading a book, or going running. I would say exercise has probably been the number one thing that has helped me be able to process the day, and not have to be on in terms of building those relationships. But just that physical exertion helps me decompress from the mental exercise of always having to engage with people. Conferences, I would say, is similar. The other thing, though, is that when I came into working full-time at Channel Islands, I was really struggling with panic attacks. I'd never struggled with that before. And there was something about being busy and having to think about other people that really almost eliminated it entirely. I didn't have time to think about myself or what I was worried about. And that was great. But it eventually started to crop up in moments where I had to present at one point. That was very scary for me. And there's a lot of internal dialogue that goes on if I have to go into a situation where I'm just not sure of myself. And I think as an introvert, especially as an INFJ, just constantly assessing and reassessing. So if I go into a situation, when I come out of that, I'm evaluating how did I do? What could I have done better? And then that totally informs the next time that I'm going into a situation and I've kind of set up all of these different obstacles in my mind to some degree that I need to clear, even though those were former obstacles in the previous situation that might not necessarily present in this next one. And so you're just in your head a lot. (laughs) And so that's where I do like being in a field where I'm forced outside of my head but then have to constantly bring myself back to a place where I can recharge and be by myself or get some exercise in so that I can get back to it and so whether that's work or a conference I have to coach myself into getting excited to put myself out there I never regret doing it but it does take something out of me that I have to eventually find a way to recharge
1: yeah absolutely and it was interesting cuz I said we did meet at this Educause Security Professionals Conference and you're coming in from a different perspective, different background. Many people especially when they're on the awareness side are coming in from non-technical backgrounds and there's always this question of, you know, for them of whether they belong there or not. And I had some really interesting conversations with a couple of people who I don't feel like I'm a Cybersecurity professional. said, so, well, you just presented at a security professionals conference. So, I think you can kind of claim that now yeah. and realize that yes, you. No, we we haven't arrived. We absolutely haven't arrived, but that's something you can point to. That's a bit of credibility for yourself or credential. In a sense, yeah. One of the things that you had told me earlier also is that you were part of uh, leadership program within Educause. And I meant to ask you about it before we got started, but could you talk a little bit about that? And you've just spent the last week at this Leadership Institute, and I'm really interested in what attracted you to the program, whether you felt ready for the program or not, and what it's been like for you and what you've taken away from it.
2: Yeah, so I went to the Leading Change Institute, which is affiliated with EDUCAUSE and CLIR. And it was an application process. And I had to submit a resume and get a letter of recommendation and absolutely was, I want to say encouraged, but even more than that, kind of hounded by a mentor of mine to to give it a shot. And I thought, no, I don't. I don't think I'm at a place where they'll accept me. So I really talked myself into thinking, well, I'll, I'll apply, but I know I won't get it. So it's not much of a risk. <laughs> and then I got in and thought, oh, no, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? So I think our cohort was about 30 people from different institutions uh, across the nation. We actually had someone from Dublin, Ireland, and someone from Australia. And I think they both worked in the libraries at their institutions, but it's a mix of IT professionals and librarians. And it was, I really had a hard time wrapping my mind around how did they let me in and why? You know, a lot of these folks are CIOs and AVPs, and they're just at a slightly higher level level entitle and just place in their career than I am, then they have much more experience. And so that was really intimidating. And again, we can talk about later, but that was where the imposter syndrome was definitely rearing its ugly head. And I really struggled to understand how in the world I got included in this group. And so I went into it thinking Well, actually, when I went to the security professionals conference, I thought, well, I'll just try my best with my presentation and I'll try my best at LCI. And worst thing can happen is that I'll learn from it if I make a mistake. And for, I would say, both instances, I was shocked to discover that I did well and that I had a place there. And. That wasn't what I expected going into it, and it was a really lovely surprise coming out of both of those experiences. Um, and really, the leading change institute, it expects that you understand certain management fundamentals. Really, what they're getting at is more of the finesse of not just managing but really being a leader and how do you implement change with things that are very difficult to grapple with, especially if you have Even things on a national level, and how to keep that broad perspective, but still be effective in very specific ways. So it was fantastic. DC was wonderful. Again, I hadn't been to DC since I was in high school. And so it was really wonderful to go back with new eyes of appreciation and see things with more experience in my life to be able to really enjoy the history and the remembrance of what so many of those memorials call for us to do. So I just loved that. It was really neat. And it was great, again, to network with people, but again, had to really coach myself into making the most of that opportunity and putting myself out there. And the worst that could happen is that it doesn't go the way I want. And then it's only for a week and then you're okay. It sounds
1: like a really, really cool thing to be involved in. And honestly, I would have probably some of the same concerns that you do because I'm not an AVP and I'm not an information security officer or a CIO. And there were times where I aspired to that. But now I don't know that I want to. I'm overall enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm also enjoying exploring, mentoring and podcasting and things like that. So I'm finding that that's providing a great deal of satisfaction. I think it's really cool that you're involved in that group. Tara, thanks for a great conversation. I look forward to our next episode where we will talk more about the Educause Security Professionals Conference and why you spoke about imposter syndrome, your experience in speaking, and one thing I noticed, the reception.
0: Thank you for joining us today on Hope for the Introvert. We hope you feel inspired and encouraged by today's discussion. You can find out more about introverted leadership and this podcast at hopefortheintrovert.com. And if you have any questions or comments on what you've heard, Ben would love to hear from you. Contact him at ben at hopefortheintrovert.com or on Twitter at hopeintrovert. And join us next time. Support Hope for the Introvert on Patreon. You'll love the rewards, from a discount on merchandise to joining the online community of introverted leaders like you. There's something for everyone. You could even join Ben as a guest on the podcast. We appreciate your support. You can find us at patreon.com slash hopefortheintrovert.